So 
Good morning, everyone. If you are youth between sixth grade and 12th grade and you like friendly competition, video games, burgers, crafts, then you should join us September 25th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. out on the lawn for our fall youth barbecue. If you are not a youth, surely you know one who likes these things and you should invite them too. Youth, invite your friends, come hang out. There's gonna be prizes, prizes, probably more prizes. Um, so come hang out with us September 25th here at La Jolla Community Church out on the lawn. Hi families, are you curious about our children's and youth ministries and want to get to know about them more? If so, you should come to our family fun nights on September 29th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. There will be dinner, the kids will be able to play games, and parents will have a chance to talk to Connie and Ryan about their respective ministries and their curriculum for the fall. So come hungry, bring your questions, and we'll see you here on September 29th at 6.30. I know you all are very excited to invite people to our two upcoming events, so make sure you stop by the welcome table to pick up some invitations, pass them out to your friends, and we'll see you then. Well, good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Feel free to sit or stand, enter into worship with us today. The Lord's my shepherd, I still still waters his goodness restores my soul and i will trust in you alone and i will trust in you alone for your endless mercy
We thank you every day for your word, which brings us peace. Every time we open the pages and read your promises and miracles that only our God can do. Your word is the greatest friend who will not allow the lonely to be alone. Dear Lord, reach inside our pride and continue to mold us into the people of God you have always known we will be and perfect our thoughts and intentions to be great givers with all we have available to us. Knowing all has been made available by you and more will be provided. So we need not worry about giving too much. Your river never runs dry. Let us not forget that you, God, created everything. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit into this room and surround us with your speechless love and unmeasurable grace so that we are overflowing and this church and its members show this blessing to all those we meet who have not found the way here yet. My sweet Lord, we are not perfect. I am not, I am for sure not perfect. Having spent years and continue every day working on perfecting your commandments in my life, for which I am truly sorry and for which you have loved and blessed me dearly and completely forgiven and forgotten. And we are so thankful for your forgiveness. You, God, have blessed us with this church, with the gifts of Pastor Murray, the staff, and his congregation. And we know we are marching together as an army of the Lord, and an army of the Lord led by the only true God, the creator of the universe, the forgiver of sins. You are the one who loves us with a true unconditional love with all our imperfections. We know that fear is the absence of you, God, so we will not fear about anything, except maybe doing this prayer in front of the church. No, no, we will not be fearful bringing all our worries and giving them to you so we may be joyful with our daily bread, the life you give us this day at this time. And tomorrow we will wake up and give thanks for that day and repeat until we make that journey to your arms. Thank you, God, for everything. We need you and we love you. Amen. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Um, we're so happy to see everyone. When you entered, you may have received a Connect card and a Prayer card. It's one item that has the two, two on, on both sides. Uh, if you're joining for the first time today, please take a moment and fill out that Connect card to let us know you're here and so we can help get you connected with the community. Um, and we invite you to fill out the Prayer card if you have anything in your life that you need, have needs for or prayer. Our, our church is very committed to prayer, and every week we have a, a team of prayer warriors that, that go through the prayers and, and try to serve you in that way. So you can drop off that card on your way out in the foyer. It's one basket that says prayer card on it, but that works for either the Connect or the prayer card. Um, and then also you can drop off your tithes and offerings. There's a box on the wall as, you, as you're exiting as well. So thank you again, and now I'd like to invite up Pastor Steve Murray. Hey. Oh, my gosh, that music. Isn't it powerful? It's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, wow. So on that card, uh, two things I want to point out on that card. The prayer. Uh, somebody asked me this week, hey, is this prayer thing like the, um, the church gossip chain or something? Is this where you, you, know, you put out information? I said, no, not at all, no. Because somebody was saying, I, I, I'm not, I was just wondering if I should put information about myself on this, on this, uh, this prayer network. And it's absolutely confidential. Actually, somebody who's not on the prayer network wanted to be on it. They wanted to receive the list. We said no, because this is not distributing news. It's not a newsletter for the congregation. It's a very confidential, a very serious effort to hold up our congregation in prayer. 
So uh, don't be shy. If you have something that you're dealing with or someone you love is dealing with, uh, don't feel like, oh gosh, the whole world's going to know. The whole world will not know, but definitely a few people will know as they lift it up to God on your behalf. It's super important. Uh, there's so many ways that we can not feel like we're either worthy or that we want to take the risk of letting other people know how they can pray for us and care for us. Big, big deal, especially in this time of COVID, crazy, are we in it, are we not? Are we on our way into more or out of it? You know, and so this is where community becomes super serious. That's the second thing then, leads to the second thing. On that commitment card, uh, we'd love to hear from you in terms of what would help you grow right now in your faith. As we're looking at what it means to be followers of Jesus, we'll talk about that. We talked about it last week. We'll talk about it today in this Thrive and Grow series about what does it mean to be a disciple? This old-fashioned word uh, that's out of fashion except for in churches, but the idea of being an apprentice, a learner, a, a follower of Jesus. And it's really important to have some ways to grow in that. A sermon and worship service is, is essential. That's, a, that's like the, 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 you know, the foundational sort of a... Um, uh, what do you call them, the, the anchor tenant in the mall. Uh, worship is the big event. But beyond worship, we need some things like a life group or some seminars that allow us to process a lot of content and appropriate that content. So one of the things we're, we're talking about, we were talking about this yesterday in a meeting with our staff and board, and we'll be working on this fall, is how do we deliver to you, give, give access to you, some some content that would allow you to do kind of a Christianity 101, 201, 301, you know, how an intro, uh, getting up to speed, uh, more advanced, uh, so that you can grow in your faith. Rather than being a person who appreciates worship, you're saying, I appreciate worship, but I'm responsible for you, and I'm diving in to own my faith and the development of my faith. So if you don't mind jotting down some things, hey, I'd like to know more about this, I'd like to know more about that, uh, I'd like to learn this, I'm curious about whatever it is. And as we have a team that's going to be working on this, we used to have a very easy way of delivering it. Show up, and we're going to have this meeting. Uh, we're going to schedule this event. Two things are working against it for us, COVID and traffic in San Diego. It's really hard for people to say, hey, I'm going to go to that 5 o'clock thing. It's only across town. If I leave now, I can be there in two days, you know, sort of a thing. So uh, we'll be giving you messages like this because... Uh, there's a few of us here in worship today. We ha- we'll be saying hi to those people who are watching online. But uh, we want to be, be, f- be able to fill the pipeline of what it means to deliver the content of faith that allows us to grow in our faith. And so help us do that by letting us know what would be helpful for you. Maybe you're a graduate student. Uh, maybe you're a person who had a faith and you kind of pooped out along the way and now you're trying to re- reboot. Maybe you've plateaued and you're thinking, I don't know, I'm kind of bored reading the Bible and I think I know everything. What else is there for me to know? We'd love to have that conversation with you about what next steps might look like. Well, so as I said, we're in this Thrive and and Grow series. We launched it last week. If you want to go back and and see that message, it gives a a larger framework for it. And, And each week we'll be looking at a specific component, a specific element, facet of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And today we're talking about Bible study. And I could say Bible reading uh, but that sounds a little bit too casual. Uh, Bible study is a little bit more intentional. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to know Greek or Hebrew, but it helps. But it, what it really means is you want to pay attention specifically to the text of the Bible and say, okay, what, what is it? Why is it? And what do I do with it, right? And so we want to help you take that next level of, from reading, which is great, to actually taking time to look analytically, critically, in the best sense of the word, at the Bible. 
I'll say personally, studying the Bible is one of the core things God has used to change my life. Uh, if you've been around here for a while, you've heard me say that it was as, <clears throat> as a senior in high school that I wanted to read the Bible for defensive purposes alone. I wanted to read it so I could defend myself against people um, uh, hanging out at surf spots in Santa Cruz who would say, hey man, do you know Jesus? No, and I don't appreciate you painting Jesus surfs on the wall either, you know. Uh, but I wanted to be, be prepared when anybody came up to me to say, hey, you know, I'm a Christian. Um, you know, one time some guys, I was with some friends, we were surfing in Santa Barbara, and a guy, two guys come up to us on the beach and go, hey, dude, uh, do you want to see Jesus? I'm like, is this a mugging? Are they going to kill us? What's it? And, and they're these wild-eyed new followers of Jesus, and they said, yeah, you want to see Jesus? And I'm like, yeah, sure, you know. And, uh, you know, just look at my friend, like, just be calm, they'll go away, you know. And I said, okay. And, and they said, okay, we're going to pray that Jesus appears right now. I'm like, all right. And they earnestly prayed. I'm not mocking him, I'm just saying it was, that, it was one of those weird things. I thought, this is why I need to read the Bible, to disarm these guys. It's, I need Kung Fu Bible. Uh, and so, as I read the Bible, though, a whole world opened up to me that I had no idea existed. I didn't know what I didn't know, and now I thought, Hey, why has nobody been telling me this? Uh, as a little kid, um, going to Catholic church occasionally and Protestant church less occasionally, and most church never, uh, as I got older, I thought, why has nobody ever mentioned this? Why are the adults in my life never mentioning this? Why are, are people I know who go to church assiduously every Sunday, after being with all of our friends on Saturday night, just still going to church, Why? What are they getting out of it? They never seem to have anything to offer about what it means to them. So this is not to be critical. It's just to make the observation that this is probably where most of us lived before we knew Christ and where a lot of the world lives right now. Even well-intentioned, genuine, you know, faith people have never cracked the Bible. The Bible is the best-known book on earth that nobody actually reads. <laughs> Think about that. If you did a quick survey, uh, you would find that many, many, many people in, in the United States have a Bible in their home. Somewhere. And it's been the family for generations. Might even have some inscriptions in it. Who was married, who was buried, you know, dedication page or something. But it's never read. The Bible to this day is the most published and the most sold book on the planet. And if you put the numerator and the denominator together, it would be shocking. How many people actually read it for as many of these Bibles exist? The irony being where uh, people are coming to know Christ at a rapid rate, they can't get their hands on Bibles. Crazy, right? There's a wonderful organization called Wycliffe Bible Translators. John Wycliffe uh, in, the, uh, in the 1600s was the first person to translate the Bible into English. Uh, Luther was the first one to translate it into German. Before then, it was always in Latin. And so this group, modern group, uh, came together uh, just after World War II, and they said, hey, what if we went around and studied languages where there's no written version? Do you know there's millions of people in the world who are multilingual but illiterate? They don't have a written language. And so Wycliffe Bible Translators goes into faraway places, and they, they sit with people long enough to learn the language, and then they translate the Bible into that language. It's fantastic. There's hunger for the Word of God, just not where there's the most Bibles. Isn't that crazy? And it's kind of like the other analogy that comes to mind is, you know, while we struggle with obesity, lots of people are starving. And that's how it goes spiritually as well. So why 
why, why, in this highly literate, highly educated country that we live in, uh, do people not read the Bible? Well, fear. Fear of the unknown. What if I become a raving lunatic who accosts kids on the beach and asks them if they want to see Jesus? What if I feel the need to spray paint Jesus saves, you know, you know somewhere? You know, they're afraid what might happen. What if I give God access to my life? Or I'm afraid my friends will think I'm a knucklehead. I'm, I'm, I've lost it. Yesterday was moving day at UCSD. Imagine the conversations changing radically if in every little pot of students you see walking around there, some students said, hey, I've been reading the Bible lately. It's been fascinating. And everybody's like, whoa, okay, thanks for warning us. Okay, good to know. Uh, or somebody in class said, you know, this is such an interesting topic. It makes me think of what the Word of God says. I mean, it'd be a shutdown immediately. Like, hey, we don't do that here. Well, what about the inclusivity and diversity? Yes, it only goes so far, okay? Uh, we're not inclusive or diverse enough to even allow for that. I'll come to that in a moment. Skepticism. Well, first of all, it's not true. It's a myth. It's outdated. Why read it? Uh, wow, the assumption that it's so irrelevant to life. It's, it's also laziness. I, I don't have time to read that. It's an old people's book. When I'm old and have nothing else to do, uh, I will then read the Bible perhaps. Or maybe uh, they've been told it's inaccurate or outdated, so they just accept somebody else's word for it. After all, it was in Time Magazine. What else do I need to know? I saw it in the LA Times. I saw it right in the Union Tribune that the Bible is outdated and is filled with errors. Oh, really? Wow, that's awesome. Deep, deep analysis. I hope you're not my doctor someday, my attorney, my accountant, because I'll be really concerned about the depth of your attention into things that really matter. So why do we study the Bible? Well, we study and believe the Bible because it satisfies the criteria of truth. We don't just do it because it's a sentimental family tradition or because I have nothing else to do, or I'm gullible, I believe anything. Uh, though that stock I own with Theranos is doing very well, I should tell you that right now. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes is very, very compelling and uh, convincing. It's a, it, it, it meets the criteria of truth. Now, you can't prove anything, really, but there's criteria for truth. This is true in every field. Lots of things in, in all the hard sciences or the soft sciences cannot be absolutely proven, but there's enough criteria of truth to give it credibility and to say, okay, this warrants further study, right? You know that. And so what would be some of the criteria of truth? Well, it's accurate, for one thing. Accurate. <clears throat> Every time somebody comes up with some you know, claim that, well, the Bible is archaeologically inaccurate. Oh, really? Wouldn't you know? It's like on, on the next beat, uh, some archaeological journal or some other you know, publication comes out and says, hey, guess what? We just found this. Oh, okay, well, forget that. Uh, it's honest. Oh, no, it's not. It just makes them all look like heroes. Yeah, like Peter looks like a hero. Judas, big hero. Uh, you, you see, no, it's, it's honest, 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 painfully honest uh, when, when Peter says, Jesus, you're, you're, the, you're the Lord. Wow, way to go, Peter. But don't go to Jerusalem, it's dangerous there. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine the trash talking on the trail? Nice comment, Peter. You, know. you see, it's honest. It tells us what people really did, what people really do, how people really think. So it's accurate, it's honest, it's credible. 
That is when they mention a date or a leader or a ruler. At one point they said, hey, this can't be true because this ruler lived you know, 30 years prior to the one that they're saying, Licinius. Ah, they find out later there's two guys named Licinius. Who knew? Hey, we have two presidents named George. Amazing. You know, well, you're way off. That was hundreds of years. No, it's one and one, right? So it's, it's credible. It's coherent. From start to finish, it actually makes sense. 66 books written in different ages and stages of human history, human geography. And it still has a theme going all the way through, a continuous, consistent, coherent theme from beginning to end. Amazing. It's essential. People bank their life on it. People risk their life for it. People make life-changing decisions because of it. So it's essential for people who read it deeply. And finally, it's compelling. You want more. I got to have more of this. Okay, that's true. What's, what about, hey, I wonder if this is the same as, and all of a sudden it draws you into this conversation with the living God. And so a summary, um, um, a fellow named Bill Creasy who used to teach literature at UCLA and uh, teaches Bible studies regionally, summarized it this way. It emerges in history, it's rooted in geography, and it's a unified literary whole that we conclude is the Word of God. And so we believe it's God's Word and calls us into a conversation with God. Uh, Paul wrote to the, the believers in Rome, chapter 15, he said this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Now specifically, Paul was talking about the Old Testament. This is the first century. The New Testament is simply now developing. But ironically, he's saying about these things being written down, it's his letter that I'm quoting. It's now part of Scripture, the canon of Scripture, C-A-N-O-N, the, the, the collection of Scripture. The criteria for that would be things that were written by apostles, that were, that were attributed to the first century, uh, people who actually knew or walked with Jesus, and uh, reflect accurately what was going on there. If you want to know a lot more deep stuff that's really important, just read the Da Vinci Code. It's full of great stuff. Uh, it's one of those books that you, you're, you're, you're dumber when you finish it from when you started. Uh, it is filled with so many half-truths and mistruths and not-truths. Um, but the canon of Scripture has been attested to and looked at critically from every different angle. That's the other thing I'd say about the, the criteria of truth. The Bible has been so critiqued so thoroughly, like no other written document, and it still stands up to the test of credibility and the criteria of truth. Does that prove anything? No, but it just gives you a lot of reason to say, hey, maybe I should take it seriously. And so the Bible encourages critical and creative thinking about everything. Critical thinking is not negative thinking. You know, we, we talk about in the vernacular, don't be critical. Well, critical in, in, in the truest sense of the word means thoughtful penetrating, taking time to really look at that and say, what's true here? And, and if somebody puts that in the title of a theory, you better look closely at that theory. How critical is the theory? When somebody comes up with a theory and they call it critical, you say, how critical is it? And if you read it and it feels like a lot of assumptions and, and, and disconnections all put together, then you, it doesn't hold up, right? So you, you talked about something being critical, you better be ready to defend and by the way, if you can't ask hard questions, then obviously something isn't critical. It's dishonest. In a family, in a marriage, in a company, 
in a church, if you can't raise questions and, and raise issues, uh, you're in the wrong place. Because uh, now if you're, being, if you're harassing people with questions that have already been resolved, you're just being annoying and you're disrupting the peace and unity of the marriage, the family, the organization, the church. But a healthy organization of any kind allows people to raise questions and have different points of view. Not that they're all equal points of view, but they're allowed to bring a point of view forward and say, but what about this? And this is super important. And this conversation is what's been going on around the Bible uh, since God revealed his word to us and since people wrote it down. It's been a critical conversation in the best sense of the word. And because it's a critical conversation, it sets us up for creative thinking. Not imaginary thinking, let's make something up, but imaginative thinking. Well, if this is true, what are the implications? This is why if you're in any field, you want to know the Bible really well. Not that it helps you do surgery better necessarily, but it helps you have a better perspective on why surgery matters. You can argue all day long about a political issue, but at the end of the day, you want to say, what does the Word of God say about life at its inception and and at its conclusion? It doesn't actually talk about putting grandma on an ice floe. But it does talk about how we treat people when they're old. It doesn't really try to define for us what's the, the viability of uh, a preborn human being. But it talks about the sanctity of life. And so this is why we get to be critical and creative having read the Bible. Some people have mistaken this for being narrow and resistant to any conversation. And sometimes those folks have been called fundamentalists. <clears throat> it started out as a positive thing. Hey, we believe in the fundamentals. Awesome. Every great sports team has to believe in the fundamentals if they want to succeed. But if they hold on to certain fundamentals that are irrelevant, they can only be mocked. No, football should be worn with a leather helmet, if a helmet at all. Okay, then. Uh, you know, and so things progress, but they don't progress from the actual you know, heart and spirit of the thing. They just progress in the way that we say, hey, what would we do to apply this in this situation? And so that's why political and social issues, economic issues, constantly are coming under the purview of followers of Jesus to say, hey, does this way that we're doing economics reveal the shalom of God? Is the free market compatible with that? Well, lots of people said, yes, of course it is. Okay, why? Because it creates prosperity. Oh, man, okay, so is that the Bible? No, what's in the Bible is people should be free to prosper. If the city is prospering, something good is going on there. What did Jeremiah say to the people? You're in captivity. Commit yourself to the prosperity of the city. That was a biblical application, critical and creative. Yeah, but we're slaves. I resent these people. Yes. And I'm going to go home any minute. Yeah, it'll be more like 70 years. So while you're here, build your family, build a garden, commit to the prosperity of the city. You see the, the power of theology? You cannot get to that critical, creative place without reading and studying the Bible. All you're left with are some half-truths and some you know, um, disconnections that you know have something important to say, but you don't know because you've never taken the time. I don't want to know somebody who took CPR 15 or 20 years ago. I don't want to know somebody who has it right now. I'm one of those people who did it 20 years ago, and I'd be dangerous right now. But hopefully somebody in this room is current on CPR. That's what theology is doing. Are you current? Do you understand the concept? Do you have the skill? This is the beautiful thing about this journey that we're on together in Christ. And so Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so as we get into the the Bible, we see that it's inspired, and it's inspiring. It's inspired, that is, it's God-breathed, and it's inspiring. It sets us up to say, I want more. Uh, Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus at the time, uh, around on the coast of Turkey, now inland. All scripture, he said, is inspired and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Interesting, uh, the city of New York is suing a Jewish school in Brooklyn. Something new and different in New York City. This has been going on for a long time. These Jewish schools are constantly harassed uh, by the, the current mayor because he sees that they're not cooperating with the, the structures that he thinks are essential. And so he took them to task. And finally, uh, uh, there was a, a, a statement by this rabbi overseeing these schools. He said, what don't you like about the fact that we're teaching students how to read and think and understand? Yes, they're covering all the other topics as well, but we have them studying the Word of God. Why? Because we believe the Word of God is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. These kids tend to go to some pretty amazing universities, like homeschool kids. If you have a good teacher at home, how is that different than a good teacher in the classroom? Or if you have a bad one at home, classroom, uh, bad one. But all good teaching sets us up not just to be smart, but to be righteous, to pull together an ethical way of approaching life, right? This is the beautiful thing about the scripture. It doesn't give justification for anything less than righteousness. Well, I cheated there, but it was okay because, no, I'm sorry, that doesn't pass. You can't cheat. Well, I stole here because, no, it doesn't work. You can't do that. Well, this, this case was, was an okay case of adultery because, I'm sorry, that doesn't pass muster because that doesn't conform to the teaching of scripture. Uh, the teaching of scripture confronts all the realities of life, but in a way that's consistent with the character of God. And so we believe that the Bible opens our hearts and our minds rather than closing them. You're not closing your mind when you read the Bible. You're opening your mind. You're not closing your heart when you read the Bible. You're opening your heart. Do you know how hard it is in a university these days, any university, to speak your mind and your heart? Now hopefully you're doing it appropriately. I mean, if you're in the middle of, of a pure math class seminar and you say, I'd like to just to say a couple words about my faith in Christ, it would be a little weird. But if somebody raised a question, not to be a, a smart aleck, but just to say, hey, this is interesting, pure math. I love pure math. Well, I see the order in this. Where did we get the order for this? Where does the order that, that we can do this come from? Well, son, that's a good question. That's not for this class, but that's a really good question. You're right. Because it's an orderly universe we can depend on these numbers to do what these theories tell us they will do. We can send people to space on the basis of these numbers. So we believe that it opens our hearts and our minds rather than closing them. The greatest scientist um, at the beginning of the modern era, Kepler, if you look at the credits that Kepler has to his name, he said, I simply want to think God's thoughts after him. That's how he explained his brilliant career. I told you a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago about... Um, uh, Lord Kelvin, William Thompson. Uh, everything has to do with Kelvins. 
Somebody was telling me the other day, well, this is how many Kelvins, this is 2,000K, this bulb. I said, that's Kelvins, you know. I said, yeah, do you know anything about Lord Kelvin? He said, well, no. I said, he was a follower of Jesus, and this is what made him want to get it right. The guy said, that's awesome, you know. <laughs> and he wasn't impressed with me. He was impressed with Lord Kelvin, right? And so, wow, it opens our minds to God's creative purposes. It gives us eyes to see and ears to hear what God has done and what God is doing. It tells us how we can personally know and experience God now and forever. It reveals a world needing rescue and restoration and that proclaims God's kingdom. It says, hey, there's something better you were made for. Don't bail on this world, but know that this world is not enough as it is. There's more to come. It calls us to a journey of adventure and discovery. It teaches us to thrive and grow in this world. If that's true, why don't more people read it, study it, and apply it? Because they have no one to tell them. Why should they need somebody? You read it on your own. Right, but I read it out of pure desperation. And like I said, defensiveness. I wanted to be ready to defend myself against people who were going to beat me up with the Bible. <clears throat> and then when I realized that uh, there were a lot of people teaching the Bible, I thought, wow, how, how, why didn't I have access to those people? And wouldn't you know, right after I started this process... I'm talking to all my friends at school about it during lunch and breaks and stuff. We talk about the Bible. Now, we didn't believe in Jesus, but we were talking about the Bible, how fascinating it was. And we weren't identified as Christians. We were just high school kids. Uh, but some guy from Young Life heard, heard that we were having these conversations and, and approached me and said, hey, I understand you, you're, you're reading the Bible. I said, uh, yeah. And he said, how's it going? I said, Great. I didn't know if it was great or not. I didn't know we were reading it. That was great. And of course, it was a disaster in terms of how we were interpreting it. But it was great as far as I went. And he said, wow, you know, would you want to get together and talk about it? Uh, that's what I do. I said, oh, okay. And it turns out he'd gone to seminary and do a lot of stuff. And I said, no, I think we have it under control pretty well. <laughs> Pure high school move, you know. And he said, okay, just let me know. And so I saw him again. He said, hey, how's, how's it going? I said, it's going really well. And I, now I'm feeling sorry for the guy. I said, hey, if you want to talk about the Bible, sure, let's get together. That's so bad. And he's like, he's cracking up. He's going, oh, great, thanks for giving me the time, you know. And so that led to some conversations. And he said, so what have you been reading that you find so fascinating? I said, well, this whole thing about Jesus, you know, he's talked to thousands of people. They're all hungry. And they don't have lunch. And they don't have food, it looks like. And so he takes some bread and some fish, and he, he distributes it, and, and everybody was fed. And he said, what do you think about that? And I said, God, it's awesome. He inspired all those people to pull out their food and share it. He goes, really? Do you see that in the text? I said, well, no, but I mean, obviously, how, what else could have happened? You know, he said, well, it's... And so now he's giving me this whole little, called hermeneutic, right? I said, how do you read stuff? How do you understand stuff? In the newspaper, in a novel, wherever, right? If it's true, why don't more people read it, study it, and apply it? Because uh, we have an enemy, not other people, but Satan. And Satan wants to keep us from ex being exposed to this and properly exposed to it. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He writes to the Ephesians and he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Oh my gosh, I had no idea that all those powers and forces were arrayed to keep a 17-year-old you know, kid away from reading the Bible. And to keep a bunch of very sophisticated people in a place like San Diego 
from actually ever reading the Bible and taking it seriously. Because of social peer pressure, they're too embarrassed to do that. <clears throat> the only theological class I'm aware of at UCSD is uh, it's, it's, uh, um, an endowed chair in Judaic studies. How in the world did that happen? It was a pretty, it was coincidental, it just happened to be that the Jacobs gave $200 million to the university, and, and the university said, hey, that's a great idea. 110 for the engineering school, mm. 70 more more for this, uh, and you want to do Judaic studies? We love the idea, you know. Um, but that's a rarity. That's a rarity. Because if you start opening up the Bible and letting people read it as it is, it's dangerous. Why? It captures people's hearts and minds. So we believe the Bible is our foundational text and our light in a dark world. We read it and we trust it to discern truth, not to distort truth. We read it and trust it to make commitments, not to break commitments. We read it and we trust it not to avoid real life, but to navigate and embrace real life. To to dive into the culture and say, here we are, can we talk? And so the psalmist in 119 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I love the way uh, Eugene Peterson, who translated the Bible out of, from Greek and, and, and Hebrew, Old and New Testaments, it's called the Message Bible, and it's a, a, a brilliant, accurate uh, translation, but in a very dynamic, vernacular form of English. And so Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you probably have heard of that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will lead your path straight. He, he has this version of it. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Now, if we had time to go through the actual language, we could say that's an accurate translation, very dynamic in the English uh, version of it. So because the Bible is our foundational text, we study it as functional knowledge. It's functional knowledge. Is engineering functional knowledge? Yes, it is. Is math functional knowledge? Absolutely. Is studying uh, neuroscience essential in a modern world? Absolutely. It's functional knowledge. Likewise, studying the Word of God is functional knowledge. Functional knowledge. We are people of the book, but we don't worship a book. We worship God who inspired the book. And this has profound personal implications for us as Jesus' disciples. It's true knowledge from God that reveals God's character and will to us. We wouldn't know about it, but for God telling us. It teaches us God's ways and God's thoughts and to live wisely under his authority. It teaches us how to adjust our life compass from magnetic north to true north. I was once on a sailboat, and for the first few days on this race across the Pacific Ocean, our navigator didn't quite get the difference between magnetic north and true north, and we kept logging in and finding out that we were not where we thought we were. And we were trying to figure it out, and finally we said, hey, are you accounting for that gap between magnetic north, which is, if you're on a map, you look at it, true north is here, and magnetic north is just off here. And so 
what you always do if you're on the land or the ocean is you have to adjust. You have to add, like from here to Oregon, if you're, gonna, if you're, if you're in Oregon, you have to say, okay, we probably have an eight-degree eight difference. Uh, so like in the high Sierra, it's 15. Whatever the degree is, you add or subtract depending on going from map to land or land to map. Do you, are you all understanding now what it is? To, yeah, okay, so... So this is what the Bible does. It's functional knowledge that helps us get to true north because magnetic north is always pulling us in the wrong direction. It calls us to become disciples who assist others in becoming disciples. And so this notion of discipleship is a relational developmental process for thriving and growing. Being an apprentice, a learner, a follower, a student of Jesus in the company of others doing likewise with people who have enough knowledge to help us move ahead. It's about beliefs, virtues, and practices. It's information, formation, and transformation. It's complex. It's multifaceted. It's all-encompassing. It includes everything in your life. It's a unified whole. It's all of you in the presence of God. It's not just, well, this religious part of me, the spiritual part of me. No, it's the all of you. It's the whole of you. It's the whole of your life. All of this matters. This is why it's so compelling and powerful. It accounts for everything in your life. I want to leave you with this story. Uh, <clears throat> we see this in Acts chapter 8. Philip, uh, one of the early leaders in the church, you see him earlier in the book of Acts. He's what they call a, a deacon, a diaconoi, a servant of the people. He's a wise and godly man. And uh, the, the church, because of a guy named Stephen, who's one of the, the leaders of the church, a, a deacon, he's, he stands up in front of a bunch of leaders and talks about Jesus and they, they kill him right there on the spot. And, and Saul, now the Apostle Paul, uh, watches this and approves of it. And following that horrible episode, the church and the leaders of the church are forced out of Jerusalem. And so they go north, up to Syria, up to the area where the Samaritans live between the north and the south of Israel. Uh, today it's called the West Bank. And uh, there's all this great stuff going on for the kingdom of God outside of Jerusalem. Well, Philip is part of this. And at the end of, of doing some of this stuff, God says to him, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Have you heard of Gaza? Of course you have. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. This is the ancient version of a limo. This is a chariot with a driver. It's so big that he can, this guy can sit back and read and, and have a, a, as pleasant a trip as you can, going down through Gaza and then down along the Nile back to Ethiopia. Sheba. So, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Okay. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, to put it in context, this guy... Uh, has money, he's wealthy, he, he's, obviously he's got a really flash chariot, he's, on, he's gone to Jerusalem, he could afford the scroll of Isaiah, which is a big long scroll, very expensive, and he's, and he's somehow now a worshiper, but he's a, he's, he's a Gentile worshiper of, uh, with the Jews. And so uh, here he is reading it, and probably having been to Jerusalem, he hears all the buzz about Stephen being martyred, all the stuff about Jesus, he's got a lot of questions. He's reading it, and God sends him Philip. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? 
how can I, the man said, unless someone explains it to me? My question from earlier. How do, why don't people know? Satan wants to keep us from it, and people aren't necessarily saying, can I help you? Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the man was reading from Isaiah. He was, li- he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? Now probably, having heard of all, all this stuff about Jesus in Jerusalem, and then reading the prophet Isaiah, this guy's got questions. And the man asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about it? himself or someone else. Now the man, I should mention, uh, is a eunuch. And he's a eunuch because if you're going to be close to money or anything to do with the queen and her household, uh, you were not meant to be a threat. Uh, sexually or in terms of having descendants that then can be a threat to the throne. The law of God says if you're a eunuch, you cannot go into the temple. So here's this guy in a very interesting situation, and he reads this, this scripture. Now, can you see how it also has a personal meaning to him? He was little like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Philip began with that very passage, began with that very passage of scripture, and told him the good news about Jesus. It sounds like the road to Emmaus after the resurrection of Jesus. Two guys are walking along going, what happened? And somebody joins them and says, what are you so bummed out about? Well, we thought Jesus was the Messiah. He was crucified. They say he rose from the dead, but we don't know. And it's a disaster. And the man from says, don't you know what the scriptures tell you? Now, he takes the Old Testament. turns out it's Jesus. So this is what Philip is doing. Oh, that passage in Isaiah, let me tell you about Jesus. It's all connected, right? A unified literary whole. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the man said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Somehow he heard about baptism and how people who believe in Jesus are baptized. This guy's already had some seeds planted, and he's going, hey, here we are. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Now, it wasn't just a chariot. It was a chariot and a bunch of soldiers, you know, all stopping. They would look over, and this guy's getting out of the chariot, and his attendants are making sure he's comfortable, and he goes down, and he, he takes off enough clothing to get in this creek, and Philip baptizes him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, apparently, and now he's been consecrated and commissioned as, an, as the first missionary to Ethiopia. The last representative from Ethiopia that we know about in the Bible had visited Solomon a thousand years earlier, the Queen of Sheba, and said, all my money and all my wealth, you guys make this pale. Make my stuff pale. You guys are awesome. So here's another interesting mashup from Ethiopia. It says later, a few verses after this, that the man was so happy as he went home. You have experienced or you will experience this in relationship to the Word of God. God will work in you to help other people become disciples. He will work in you to help people who previously hadn't really known of their need for Christ or knew how to even have that relationship, know that truth. It's going to do something in you and something through you if 
you study the Bible. Can you imagine if Philip in that situation said, gee, I don't know. Great question. I have no idea. Get out of my chariot. <laughs> don't waste my time. I thought you were like a follower of Jesus or something. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, I don't have time to read the Bible or anything. I mean, I'm busy. Stuff to do, you know. What kind of disciple are you? Well, you know, I have good intentions. I'm very sincere. I, I, I well up when I even think about it. Hmm, great. But I've just asked you an important question, and my life is hanging in the balance, and you can't seem to find any answer for me? You can't even direct me to where I might get an answer? Is that what a disciple does? Then I should be one, because I'm probably pretty close to it already. I already don't know what the Bible says. And you've just confirmed that that's the, the, the acceptable standard for discipleship. This is not a word of, of, of mocking or judgment. It's simply a word of warning. May we not be those kind of people. May we be the kind of person like Philip who goes, well, I don't know exactly, but let's start with this and see where it leads us. Let's explore the Word of God together. To be a guide, you don't have to be an expert. You just have to be a person who has been there before. Better to know somebody who's been to London once than not to know anybody who's been to London when you're planning your trip. If all you get from that person who is telling you about what to look out for in London is mind the gap, that's a good start. And if they know more than that, better still. So let me pray for us. Because this notion of studying the Bible is, has never been more critical because we're in a world that disparages it, disregards it, dismisses it, and, and on occasion just plainly distorts it. You are the hope of people because Christ is the hope of you. So Lord Jesus, this is my prayer for me, all of us here, that you can start a movement of Bible reading and Bible study in this congregation in this community, in every church in San Diego, across the country, in some, in some places it's already happening. Around the world, there's a vitality and a hunger and a thirst for your word that is bearing great fruit. We pray that we can be part of that great movement of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. Well, so now take some moments, uh, some time to simply offer yourself to God as, as the music is played, as we have a final few moments of worship together uh, before the benediction. Speak and when you move, when you do.
hope that's your prayer. I hope that's your song. Uh, I hope that's your commitment. Start wherever you are. Uh, read the Gospel of John. Uh, if you want to get in a habit of everyday reading, read a psalm and a proverb every day. Uh, you can get more complicated and get in some very extensive Bible reading plans. Fantastic. If you have time uh, during the week, you can sign up for something like community Bible study. 
There's all kinds of ways to get this done. If you're not in a life group, we'd love to help you get in one. We'll be creating some, some opportunities for you this fall. Give us your feedback in terms of where you are, what you need. That'll help us dial it in. Uh, as you leave, drop off that card for prayer or that Connect card in, in the basket or uh, if you want to drop off a financial offering in that uh, box so marked. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And if we can pray for you, go right out around the corner there to the front of the church. There's a beautiful little prayer garden. And Kathy, will you be there? Who will be there to pray with you? Just a brief prayer before you go for anything that concerns you. Have a great day. Thank you. Every word.